together this morning, we'll actually be in uh, Ephesians. We're continuing our study through Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you, and we'll be on page uh, 1081. I would also encourage you just a a few pages past that. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3 as well. So if you want to mark your Bible there, really it's just a few pages. But um, so 1081 and 1088. I want to, I want to, just kind of give a disclaimer this morning. Um, I don't know whether y'all are hard-headed and stubborn or I'm hard-headed and stubborn, but somebody's not getting the picture because I'm just telling you, uh, if you were here Wednesday night, you're going to realize that, golly, this is a lot of the same message. And so, uh, so I feel like whenever, you know, whenever we see God repeat himself in Scripture— uh, we want to pay attention. We want to perk up and say, okay, like there's something that we need to, we need to be tracking here. And the same thing's true because, you know, when we're, you know, started moving through First Timothy and then uh, working through Ephesians, we're not picking the messages and when they're going to fall and all this stuff. God just does that. And so uh, this morning, we're just going to continue this thought process that we began this past Wednesday night. And uh, some of the things that we talked about will come up. I'll try to do my best to shine some light in a fresh way, in a new way. Um, but I want to begin. I want to begin with this. I want to tell. I want to. I want to kind of give a, an opening statement. This is this is what God wants us to understand this morning. This is where we're going. This is we're going to unpack this. And this is the the point of of Ephesians chapter four and the passage we're going to look at today. God wants us to walk as new humans. The new humans were becoming with Jesus Christ. And if you are new around here, whenever you come in, there's, there's listening guides at those uh, stations right there. And you can grab one of those. And that's just to help you follow along with, with Scripture and also questions on the back that a lot of community groups discuss whenever, whenever we leave here. So God wants us to walk as the new humans we are becoming with Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says that we are... When we come to Christ, we're a new what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Well, how are we becoming new if we've been made new? You see what I'm saying? So if, if we're a new creation, the old has passed away. That's gone. That's not who we are. That, that person died. I'm not a new, improved version of myself. That, that self is dead and gone. And yet... We're becoming new. And so how do, we, like, how do we understand this leading into this discussion this morning? Here's, here's what I thought about. Let me just give you an example that hopefully will help us understand what's going on. Uh, imagine a man who goes to prison for 20 years. Now, he didn't just end up in prison. He made a series of, of bad choices that led to more bad choices and ultimately landed him in prison. Now, when he got in prison, he had to change the whole way in which he thought. He didn't, everything that he did in prison was simply to survive, okay, in hopes that that, that 20 years from now, that he's going to be set, set free. And so everything that he did, the way he thought, He's constantly thinking the way he acted, everything that he did. He, he couldn't trust, and so he had to make sure that uh, he protected himself. And so he wouldn't, he wouldn't give people, he wouldn't trust people in his life. And he would, in a lot of ways, he would have to manipulate people in order to get what he wanted in those situations. And, and the list goes on and on and on and on. You wouldn't turn your back to somebody 
because you never know. You can't trust anybody. You, you're not eating because something tastes good. You're eating to survive. That's your sole purpose. And so you probably scarf down some food and move on to the next thing because you, you don't have a lot of time. You, you understand everything that you do is, is shaped by your environment. And you think a certain way, you act a certain way. And then there comes a moment, 20 years down the road, when, when this inmate is set free. Now they walk out, of the, walk out of the prison in an instant. Instantly they are set free. But what's the tendency? Do, do they still, do they think like a free man? Or do they still think like somebody who's been in prison? Is there a tendency to, because not because it's good, but because it's familiar, is there this tendency to go back to what actually landed them in prison because it's familiar? And so that's just the old way that I thought. And this is all I know how to do. Is there this tendency to not trust the people in front of you? Is there this tendency to continue to try to manipulate people and situations because it's the only way that you know how to act? Because for 20 years of your life, it's all you've done and all you've known. And so then begins this process and, and instantly set free. But yet, and here's the point. A man can be, be freed from prison in an instant. But it takes a lifetime to get the prison out of the man. Does that make sense? And so it takes this, this lifetime to get, to get the prison out of, out of a man. And here's, here's what you know to be true. If you're a Christian here this morning, if 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true for you, if you are a new creation, if the old has passed away and all things have been made new, there was an instant when you went from death to life. And that's what... What Paul's been talking about in the first three chapters really is just like, hey, this, these things are true for the, believer, for the believer. And so in an instant, you went from death to life. Instantly, your identity was changed. You're no, your identity was no longer the prison. You've been, you've been set free. And so in that moment, you were instantly transformed. Yet it's a lifetime of transformation. Does that, does that make sense? And so I just think of my, uh, I think of my personal story. So I was 27 years old whenever, whenever I surrendered my life to Christ. That's 27 years of thinking a certain way. That's 27 years of, of acting a certain way. It's 27 years, the places I went, the things I did, the way I thought, the way I saw the world, 27 years of doing something. How long do they say it takes to form a habit? Not 27 years, okay? So pretty much got it ingrained after, after 27 years. And there was a moment where I was instantly transformed. And we're going to talk about the interchange that takes place in the life of a believer here in a moment. But there was an instant where everything changed for me. I saw things different. I had, new, I had a new nature. I had new desires. I cared about things I never cared about before. But here's the thing. It's taking a lifetime. Taking and it's going to take a lifetime of this transformation in this crucifying the old self and walking in in newness and then maybe I don't I don't want to discount because as I was pre preparing this morning I was thinking about um I was thinking about all the people in the room that that's not your story you weren't 27 years old when you came to faith maybe as a young child you surrendered your life to Christ and I think sometimes too I think a lot of times uh, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of teenagers over the year and um it's a blessing 
for those who don't wait 27 years. Maybe I am the one that's hard-headed. <laughs> Maybe I am. But, but it's a blessing to grow up in church. It's a blessing to surrender your life to Christ from an early age and follow after him. And so let's just say at 10 years old, you surrendered your life. That's 10 years of forming habits, thinking a certain way. And the truth is, is, is we, are, we are selfish and self-centered from the moment that we are born. We are. And then we're shaped by a world that feeds into this, that constantly says, hey, look out for number one. Do whatever makes you happy. And so it's in our very nature. It's our sinful nature. And we're shaped by the world in which we live in. And so to think that we're not going to be influenced or formed by, by ourselves and our old selves and, and the world in which we live in would be, would be foolish. And so as we've been going through this and having this conversation, Paul has, again, he spent three chapters just talking about our identity in Christ. He spent three chapters talking about our position. And then he shifts into practice in chapter 4. And so this idea of new identity, but this new identity leads to new activity. That's the way it should work, okay? There's this interchange that is then becoming an exterior change, but it is a change that comes from within. And so we move from position to practice. And the penalty of our old habits have been removed. That's that's what he's saying. The penalty, the penalty for, for who you were, that's been removed. But like, it's, it's just crazy if you think about those, those old habits. They have a, they have a pesky way of hanging, hanging around and pestering the mess out of us. It's like a, um, if you have a chihuahua, good for you. But, man, they can be annoying. You know what I mean? It's like a pesky chihuahua just constantly, you know, they don't come at you when you're looking at them. They wait till you turn your back, and then they start nipping at your heels. And that's in a lot of ways, that's our old habits. That's what they do. They, they just have a pesky way of hanging around and, and pestering us. And so we've got to learn how to live this new life in Jesus and understand. We can't pretend. We can't just say, okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true. And then just discount the reality of the pesky chihuahua that's always following us around everywhere we go and everything that we do. Agreed? And so we've got to understand and have this conversation. And Paul's going to help us this morning as we, uh, as we unpack this text. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll launch into Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 17. So let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being a God who makes things new. God, I thank you for all the new creations in the room. And I just pray in this time that you would, that you would speak. God, that your people would be listening. Help us to hear your voice this morning. Help us to know that you're for us and you want the best for us. And you want to see us grow and flourish and live out our faith and be the people that you created us to be. And God, that's a process of becoming. And so help us to learn how to become in this new reality of who we are. So, Lord, we need your help. We pray that you move and work and accomplish in this time only the things that you can accomplish. We thank you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, let's, let's start in verse 17. 
Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So here's what Paul is doing from the beginning. He's insisting on something. Now this I say, he's not saying this is a suggestion. This is, he's insisting on something and he's calling on the, in the big guns. He, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. He's saying the Lord is backing me up in this. That he's essentially calling Jesus as a witness to confirm, hey, what I'm about to say, this isn't my idea. You got a problem, talk to Jesus. And so he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm calling Jesus to testify and to affirm what it is that I'm about to, what I'm about to say. He says, no longer walk as Gentiles, which is interesting. Who's he talking to? Gentiles. It's a Gentile church. The Ephesian church is a Gentile church. So what is it that he's saying? He's saying, hey, and, and we'll see as we move through this, but what he's saying is, is he's really pointing out the fact, don't, if you're saved, don't live like you're lost. Don't walk as you once walked when you were lost, when you didn't know me, when you didn't have this hope, when everything formally in Ephesians 1 through 3 wasn't true for you. Don't go back to your old way of life don't do that. And so what he's essentially saying is that we cannot live as if God hasn't saved us if he has. Which makes sense for us. Doesn't that make sense? We don't live like we once did. We don't live as if God hasn't saved us if he has. But he's having to address the issue. He's having to have a conversation about this. So evidently, just because it, it, just because it makes sense doesn't mean we always get this right. We can't act like, and this is what he's saying, we can't act like Ephesians 1. Like that didn't happen to us. We can't act like Ephesians 2 isn't a reality. Just some of the words, I went back and looked in, in the first part of Ephesians. These are words that, that God chose to, to speak of those who were in Christ. Chosen blessed, adopted, redeemed, loved, forgiven. Don't act like those things aren't true for you, is what he's saying. Before you experience these things, you naturally lived like everyone around you, but then you did. Then you did experience these things. Jesus saved you and he transferred you into a new family and gave you a new identity and so we're to live like that. So the way we used to live doesn't really fit anymore. That, that makes sense to us, agree? It would be like me trying to put on a suit that I, that I graduated in when I weighed 150 pounds. That doesn't fit me anymore. There's no chance, no shot. That's not, I mean, I'm the same person, but I'm not the same person. Agreed? And so it, it, these things don't, they don't fit. Now that you've been rescued, your new way shouldn't look like your old way. And that's what he's saying. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So there's this imagery that, that Paul uses here. And he's saying, look, the, the people, are, people in this world, apart from Christ, are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. They're alienated from the light of God. 
And so all they know is darkness. They don't realize it, but that's all that they know. And so just picture a, a dark cloud that covers, covers the ability to see reality, okay? That's important, that there's this dark cloud that covers uh, the world's ability to understand and see reality. And the world is full of people stumbling around in the dark and making a mess of everything, but understandably so. I think this is going to be very helpful for us this morning. I, I, I want you to think of, uh, you can think of anything. I mean, you can think of any profession or any hobby or anything, but just imagine a chef. Imagine a chef who is blindfolded, and they've always been blindfolded. And so they try to find their way around a kitchen blindfolded. So you can get yourself in all kinds of trouble. You get around a hot stove, you get around, you're fumbling around in the, in the refrigerator. Or imagine a, a chef who's blindfolded and they have to go to, to Walmart. Now, I'm not saying your, your kitchen's stocked and you're blindfolded. I mean, you got to do it all. You got to figure this thing out. And so you got to figure your way and find your way to, to the grocery store. And then you got to make your way down the aisles. And it's not like you've, you've seen before. It's not like you can read a recipe or see the ingredients you're just trying to put things together and you're grabbing things, not because, hey, I think I, I know this is on this aisle or this is over here or I need. You're just grabbing for stuff and trying to. Now, I, I believe, and I've said this before, and I thought about this as I was thinking about this illustration. I've always said that, man, you put bacon in anything and it makes it better. But I feel like you could probably get yourself in trouble. You start putting bacon in cake and you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? But, and here's the thing. And so you're like, okay, well, I'll just figure out what other people are doing. But the only thing you can do is ask other people who have always been blindfolded how to do what you're trying to do. And it's impossible. It is completely and total, totally impossible. You would get everything wrong and understandably so. It is impossible. Here's what Paul's trying to teach us. It is impossible to come to the right conclusion on anything apart from Christ, apart from the life of God, apart from the light of God, being disconnected from him. It is impossible. And this was, this was me for 27 years of my life. And this was you before you came to faith. This is, this is us. This is our story. And then what happens is, is God takes the blindfold off. And now all of a sudden we can see. We're like, this is what I've been burning my hand on all this time. This is, this is, wait a minute. And all of a sudden now you're, you're going to, to your recipe book and you're able to read recipe and you start looking at these ingredients and you go to the grocery store, man, you are just stocking up. And for the first time in your life, you can totally see you're going, you're skipping down the aisles of the grocery store going, do you see this? And people are going like, whatever, you know, but the point is, it's like the, the blindfold is taken off and now the cloud has been lifted. There's no more darkness. But what we've got to understand is that the fall affects our minds and that we need something outside of ourselves in order to help us to see. So when we come to this place, there's, here's what I want us to understand before we continue. That you and I had nothing to do with the fact that we can see. We simply, as Tony said several weeks ago, we simply collapse into the arms of our Father and He makes everything new. 
for the first time, we can, we can see. And so it's important for us to understand that Jesus was and is the only one who could straighten out our old, twisted way of thinking. He's the only one. He's the only way that that's, that that's possible. It's impossible apart from, apart from him. And it is an internal change. Now, we see external results. There's evidence on the outside of the change on the inside. Okay? And so it's an internal change. I was thinking about, uh, sorry to call you out Brooklyn, but I was thinking about Brooklyn. I was thinking about how, uh, so Brooklyn runs track at the University of Arkansas, but she's had a rough year. And so she's experienced some some injuries and uh, she was just cleared recently to be able to go back to running and it's been a long time. And you know, the fact that she could go back to running, you know, she was um, excited. How many of y'all are excited some of y'all are like, can I use that excuse, injuries? Can I? You know what I mean? It's like excited. And, and so you, you see what I'm saying? So, so Brooklyn, there's this deep satisfaction. There's this deep love for running. Now on the outside, we look and we see Brooklyn's running and she's sweating. And it looks miserable. From the outside looking, it's like, why in the world would you want to do that? That makes no sense to me. But there's this internal thing that is driving her. And we can see, the, we can see it on the outside. And, and, and it makes no sense. It makes no sense. But that's what happens. Is so God, he, he flips the switch. He opens our eyes. He, he produces something in us that we can't produce in ourselves. The, world, the rest of the world doesn't get it because... It seems like it's just foolishness. It seems like it's foolishness. There's this inner reality that, that drives what we do. And again, it looks like nonsense. It looks like work for those who watch on the outside. We care about things that we used to not care about. But outside of the grace of God, we don't know how to do those things. You, outside the grace of God, you don't know how to be the man of God that he called you to be. Outside of the grace of God, you don't know how to be the woman of God that he created you to be. You don't know how to love your husband. You don't know how to love your wife. You don't know how to raise your kids. You don't know how to interact with the lost world. You don't know how to do anything. You don't know how to be a, a good friend. You don't know how. You're just another blindfolded person trying to lead blindfolded people to do things that you can't see. Outside of who God is and the work that he does in us, outside of his, his grace. I was having a conversation uh, this past week. Me and my wife were having a conversation with a couple. And uh, she, she reminded me of a moment in my early walk with Christ. She said, uh, she said, look, there was a moment early on that Brian hurt my feelings. Like he really hurt my feelings. And so I told my wife, I said, um, and so my wife and I were married for seven years before I came to faith. And I told her, I said, I really didn't love you then. That'll win you some points. Oh, so you didn't love me, but you were married to me for seven years. Okay. But my point was this. I was just a young Christian. I was trying to figure things out. But my point was this. I didn't know how to love my wife for the first seven years of my marriage. I was in a cloud. 
I was in darkness, and I was trying to figure this thing out on my own, but I didn't know how to love my wife until I experienced the love of God, and He awakened my heart to what love truly was, and then I was able to love my wife the way God called me to love her. And then ever since that moment, it's been this process of me growing and learning how to love her more and more and more and more. So that's the process in which we're talking about. But when we're alienated from the giver of life, we get living wrong because we're not connected to him. And so this idea of ignorance that, that he's talking about early on in this, this passage is, is, is because people don't have knowledge. They don't know him. And that's why it's so important. If you do know him, it's why it's so important to display who God is to the world around us. We have been enlightened, and so we want to display this to the world around us. And so we're separated. This is important for us to understand. We are separated from the attitudes and the actions of the lost world. That's what God has called us to do, to be separated from the attitudes and the actions of the lost world around us, but not the people. Think of it like this. We don't live like, unbel- I mean, yeah, we don't live like unbelievers for the sake of unbelievers, not because we're better than unbelievers. It's for their sake, so that their eyes might be enlightened, so that their hearts might be awakened. So we don't live like unbelievers, but it's for the sake of unbelievers. And so we live in a world where everyone is, all people are created in the image and likeness of God. But not everybody's hearts have been awakened. And what Paul is saying, that's who we were. That's not who we are. So live like who we are. I'm going to say that again. That's not, that's not who we are. That's, that's who you were. So live like who you are. Be who you are. Quit trying to be something that you're, you're not. All right, verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him. And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. There's this, um, there's this modern idea that you can, uh, and this is the way you think, then it, I'm just letting you know this is not biblical. This is it's not what scripture teaches. But there's this modern idea that you can be a believer and it can have no effect on how you live your life. That you can simply show, and I guess it's more so, the case in the Bible Belt and in the South, but that's where we live. And so that's our culture. That's our environment. That you can just show up to church on Sunday, but you can, you can be a believer and it have no implications or effect on how you live your life. But don't take this personally because evidently it was a problem back then too. But, or he wouldn't be addressing. He, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So it was a problem then too. And he's saying, that's not how you learned Christ. That's, that's not what Scripture teaches. So you came up with that on your own. That's not what Scripture, and so that's not how you learn Christ. And then he says, assuming that you actually know Christ. And so that was kind of like a little, a little jab, a hook, an uppercut. He's saying, I mean, if you are Christians, and so are you? Which I think is a which is good for us to kind of pause for just a moment and say, okay, it's a good opportunity for us to, in the room to self-reflect. And so we've got to, we've got to base our ideas and opinions on, on God, on who he is and, and the life he called us to and what it means to be a Christian based on what scripture teaches, not based on what our own ideas and opinions are. It's based on the truth. That's not how you learned Christ. This is not the teaching of Christ. 
So you got to build your life on the, on the teaching of, of Christ. And so he reminds them of what they knew to be true, and it's truth in Jesus. And here's what we need to understand, too, is that Jesus is, is the teacher, but he's also the teaching. He's both. He's the, he's the teacher. He's, Paul is pointing to, to Jesus. And I, I made this point this past Wednesday, and Tony made it the Wednesday before, and it's just one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to come up with something new, and I'm like, nope, not doing it. Okay, so we, we phrased it in a negative context. We, we said that, you know, if you, get your li- if you get the truth wrong, you get your lives wrong. So I decided to just flip it around, but it essentially means the same thing. If we get the truth right, then we get our lives right. If, if we if we build our lives on the truth, and the truth is Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we build our lives on the truth, our lives, so the internal reality affects the external and way in which we live our lives. And so if we get the truth right, we get our lives right. In Jesus, we discover what's genuine, what's authentic, what's the real deal. And then he makes us genuine and authentic in the, in the real deal. Because he knows what makes the world tick. He knows what makes creation tick. He knows what makes humanity tick. He knows what makes you tick. And the people around you, the people you work with, and people you go to school with, and the people in your neighborhood, the people in your family. He knows what makes it tick. And the truth about everyone and everything is found in him. And so we have to learn Christ so that our mind ticks as his mind ticks so that we as we as we learn Christ and this was I, I thought about uh if, if you grew up in the 80s you'll remember this whole initiative um just trying to keep kids in school and the whole be cool stay in school I actually YouTube that in my office so cheesy and so bad but be cool stay in school and so we're constantly learning Christ we learned Christ, that's what led us to Christ, and then we're constantly learning Christ. And we have to be cool and stay in school, and we set our mind to His mind. And as we, as we understand what makes His mind ticks, then our mind begins to tick the way His does, and we begin to love the same things that He loves and hate the things that He hates, and it directs the things that we do. All right, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to talk about something briefly because I think it's important. Don't get the idea of compartmentalization as we're looking at this. Hey, put off, put on, put off, put on. You know, a lot of people will do that whenever it comes to their faith. And so just depending on their environment, they'll put it off or put it on. And so a lot of times what we do is, is people will come to church on Sunday morning and we'll put on. But then we leave here and we take it off and we put on whatever it is. And then we just wait till the next time that we either get around some Christians or come back together in the, in the house of God. And so that's not what he's saying. He's not saying this is something you put off and take on. Put off and, he's saying, no, leave your old manner of life behind and continually grow in godliness. And that, that what God wants for us is consistency across all area of our lives. Be who you are everywhere you go. That's what he's saying. Be who you are 
in Christ everywhere you go. And he's speaking to this tendency to go back to our old ways, our old ways of thinking, our old routines, our old habits, our old destructive behaviors. He's saying, change your clothes. That's not who you are anymore. We, we live in a the world of the transport per- portal in, uh, in college sports. And so if you don't know anything about college sports, then just stay with me. Basically, you go to, used to you went to one school, and that's where you went to school. And if you decided you didn't want to go to school there, then well, you had to sit out. You couldn't just go to another school and start playing, play, whether it's football or basketball or baseball or whatever it is. But now you're just like, hey, I'm in the transport, transport per- portal. Where, where is that? Is that? I feel like that's like the cloud. Where is that? What's the cloud? Nobody knows. What's the transfer portal? Who knows? But you can do that. But here's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about somebody who goes into the transfer portal and they show up to their new team with their old jersey on. Now, I want you to know that uh, I told you that this whole sanctification thing is a lifelong process, but we're to be growing in godliness. And, and I really wanted to take this moment to take a jab at Alabama fans. But I didn't do that. I'm showing self-control. So I'm not doing that. We're moving. I'm growing. I'm with you guys. So imagine you go to school at Ole Miss and you say, okay, well, because I'm not getting the play in time or whatever it is, and you transfer to Mississippi State. And you show up to Mississippi State. Now, we're both from Mississippi, but we all know you can't be fans of both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And you show up to, to Mississippi State with all your Ole Miss gear. And you show up and you're like, hey, the game's on tonight. Y'all coming over because Ole Miss is playing. Da, da, da. And you, th- that's not going to fly. That's not going to work. It's never going to work. And so you think about bitter rivals. And if you showed up in the old jersey, you've been made new. Don't play. You, you don't play for that team anymore. That's not who you are. And so we hang up that jersey and we put on a new jersey and our allegiance is now to that team. Really, to that Lord. Our allegiance is to Him. And so we, we live for Him. In the, middle of, uh, in, in the middle of verse 22 through 24, in this conversation about putting off and putting on, I believe is the key to this whole thing. The key to this whole passage, the key to everything. And so if you think about, just, just remember how I said if there's repetition in Scripture, we should take notice. I mean, think about, um, well, let me read verse 23, and then we'll look back over this whole thing. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so here's this image of being renewed in the spirit of our minds. This whole passage is just filled with this whole conversation. In verse uh, 17, it talks about the futility of their minds. In verse 18, it talks about darkening their understanding. In, further in verse 18, it talks about ignorance that is in them. In verse 20, it says, learned Christ, that we were taught, in verse 21, renewed in the spirit of our minds. And so here's this deal, like something's, something's going on. There's, there's something we need to stop and think about. It's really the key to this whole passage and really the key to putting off and putting on and living out this new life with these old pesky problems we got following us around. And here's what we need to understand. The battle is often won or lost in the mind. I wanted to put always. I really think it's always, but just for the sake of not being wrong, I just say, okay, often. Like it's, it's won or lost in the mind. 
I started thinking about, and this is not the only place that we see this in Scripture. I want to I read you several passages of, of Scripture that will help us understand this, that will frame this in. In James chapter 1, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's this idea that something is, is, is going on inside our mind. And the more we give thought to it, the more we give attention to it, the more we get consumed with it. What's, it, what's ultimately going to happen is, is it's ultimately going to be the fact that we act on that thought. And it brings forth big problems. And, and that's why Paul says in Philippians, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive in order to obey Christ. Because it starts right here. And we know that's true. See, every dumb thing you've done, now some of you are super impulsive and you don't think, most of the dumb things we do, it's not like we just showed up and did it. No, we gave a lot of thought to the dumb thing that we're going to do. We spend a lot of time thinking about it, dwelling on it, playing in our mind how it's going to go, convincing ourselves that it's actually going to be good trying to convince ourselves that it's actually going to be good, knowing deep down. But the point is, is that we have given our minds to something long before we actually act on that thing. And so it's important that our minds are focused on, on the right thing. Our minds lead the way for our actions. And the truth is, is now we operate from a different mindset. If we're new in Christ, we operate from a different mindset. Because what we think about is what we do. Listen, listen to what uh, says in, in 1 Corinthians. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Further down in verse 16, he says, for who, has, uh, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We operate now from a different mindset. That's what I'm saying. Like we see things differently. We think differently because we've been given the mind of Christ. That's a reality. But we have, even though we've been given the mind of Christ, we have to continually renew the mind of Christ. So even though we've been given the mind of Christ, it must be continually renewed. Must be continually renewed. That's why in in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And so the question isn't, are we being formed by something? The question is, what are we being formed by? Okay? So the question isn't, are we being formed by something? What are we being formed by? And are we being formed by the right things? Are we being formed by the broken world in which we live in? Are we being formed by our own broken desires? Are we being formed by our old selves and all the things that we used to do and all the destructive habits that we used to have? Are we being formed by the mind of Christ? And here's what we need to understand. Whatever we feed, whatever we nurture, whatever 
we nourish is going to grow. That's just truth. That's reality. That's if you, if you nurture and feed and nourish your flesh and its desires and the desires of the old man, guess what's going to grow in your life? You know, if you water the plant, the plant's going to grow. If you water the weeds, the weeds are going to grow. That makes total sense. Or if you, if you nourish and, and nurture and, and feed the Spirit of God and the new mind of Christ that's in you, you're going to grow. That's going to grow. I, I thought about this this week. I thought about the fact that, uh, because the opposite is just as true, that whatever we starve weakens. Whatever we're not feeding doesn't grow. So it's important what we're giving, what we're giving ourselves to, what we're giving our minds to. Here's what I thought about. You dangle a virtue in front of a healthy Christian, they're going to embrace it and run to it, right? Because because you've been feeding the mind of Christ. Now your heart is in tune with God and you're going to pursue the things of God and the, the virtues and the nature of God. If you dangle sin in front of a, a lost person or a malnourished Christian, you know what they're going to do? Sink their teeth into it. We'll sink our teeth into it. And so we've got to make sure that we're, we're healthy and flourishing in our, in our faith. And this whole conversation about changing clothes, it happens through the renewing the spirit of our minds. It happens through sitting at the feet of Jesus and being discipled by him through his word. And then that in turn impacts what we do. What and how we put off and put on. So I want to, uh, I want to read, flip over to Colossians chapter 3. Now that we've unpacked this this passage just listen to everything that that paul says over here to the colossian church very very similar he says in verse one chapter three verse one if then you have been raised with christ it's kind of like assuming that you've learned christ if then you've been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god when christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory put to death therefore what is earthly in you put off right sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, it's the same idea here. It's like, hey, we're putting things off, but it has to do with the, the mind. It starts with the mind of Christ. And he uses some, some uh, very strong language here. But we need to understand something before we dive into that. If you want to see victory in your life, then you're going to have to be proactive. You're going to have to be proactive. We, I don't have time to get into this this morning. We spent a lot of time Wednesday night talking about God's not opposed to effort, but he is opposed to earning. Okay? It's not that we do these things to try to earn our position with God. 
But once God has saved us, we do these things because we are saved and we have a new heart and he's calling us to new things. And so um, God calls us in verse 5 where he says, um, where he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That word literally means to murder. Murder. Murder those things. Those things that are keeping you, put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death your old self and the things that you used to do. Murder them. And the problem is, is we don't, we often don't take this kind of approach. When it comes to our sin, we'd like to keep it on a leash. We like to try to try to train it. And that's not how Paul says we're going to see victory. We've got to be proactive and we've got to go at it. I mentioned Wednesday night, radical obedience leads to radical growth. We got to get radical in our faith. And so oftentimes we don't do that when it comes to sin in our life. You've seen, we've all seen the pictures of like the guy who puts his head in a crocodile's mouth. You know, we can train a crocodile and, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Or maybe you've been to a circus and you see, you know, elephants that have been trained and they're doing that, you know, they're, and then we've seen where that goes wrong. But I started thinking about, uh, I started thinking about lions. I started thinking about lions. And isn't, isn't that cute? <laughs> I mean, we love that. Like, there's this thing. When we, see, when we see human beings wrapped up and hugging a lion and lying all on them or, or licking his face, like, there's something in us. Like, we, we're like, that is really cool until it's not. <laughs> because I don't care what you say. That is not a pet. That is a predator. But but we don't see we don't see that way oftentimes. We see that as being something really cute, really cool, something that we would really like until it's not. And our sin is not a pet that you can train to, to sit and to roll over. We had a dog when my kids were younger, and uh, Toby, and I trained the dog. When I would pull out my gun, bang, and he would literally go around in circles and then lay on the floor, which was really cool. But that's not what sin does. And that's not what, what sin is. Sin is a predator. Maybe you've heard it said, but it's true. We've got to be killing sin in our life or sin will be killing us. We've got to leave it behind and we've got to take an aggressive approach. We've got to be proactive. If you wait until the moment that you're tempted to try to figure out what you're going to do, you are doomed. You're going to fail. But that's, that's, for so many Christians, that's their approach. Like, okay, well, I, I'm just going to wait. And whenever the moment comes, then that's when I'm going to start trying to figure out what I'm going to do. No, no. The, the battle starts long before you ever encounter the temptation. And you've got to have the mind of Christ. That happens on your knees at 5 a.m. in the morning. That happens sitting before the Word of God and sitting at the feet of Jesus, being discipled by Him, embracing the teacher and the teaching. That's how we have victory. And so there's this image of putting off and, and putting on. It's nothing new. And Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, closely clings, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so we're putting off, we're leaving these things behind that are holding us up and keeping us from being everything that God created us to be. It'd be like, a, uh, it'd be like Brooklyn showing up to run track in a football uniform. 
She's going to get it left in the dust, and she's never going to be what God created her to be. And so the key to putting on is pursuing Jesus and being renewed by him day by day by day. We don't escape habits or patterns of sin by focusing on on the sin or trying to avoid it. We, We avoid those by focusing our eyes and fixing our eyes on Christ, on Christ. And the byproduct of that is growing in godliness and being able to see sin for what it is and it's losing its power in our, in our heart and in our lives. I want to read you a passage out of 2 Peter as we close our time together. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And then he lists out all these things. That are, that are true for the believer, that are, that are things that we need to be putting on. And he says, if you put these things on, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in verse 17, he talks about, uh, in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, he talks about, he says, Now this I say in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This word, futility, means ineffective. That we as Christians can be ineffective and unfruitful if we continue just to walk as our old self. As we continue to embrace the habits of who we were. Meanwhile, God has given you everything that you need to walk as the new human that you are becoming. We've been given everything that we need. He's given us the mind of Christ. He's given us the, the power of Holy Spirit and life. So no lo- that sin no longer has to have power over us. And God is for us. Here, here's, what, here's what I want to close with. That God is for you. He wants to see you grow in godliness far more than you want that for yourself. Now, I started thinking about all the next month we'll be doing, um, we'll be having child dedication next month. And uh, so we've got all these young kids in our fellowship, and uh, they're coming to these seasons where they're going to be learning how to walk. Because he says, don't walk in these ways, but walk in these, this way. And so, like, remember when, when kids start to learn how to walk, and so they'll pull themselves up on a table or on a couch or on an ottoman, and then they'll kind of move their way around that thing but then there comes that moment where they're holding on and they want to take a step but they don't know how to take a step and they're not sure and they're trying to figure this out and then they get where they'll stand but they do they take a step do I not like I'm afraid and you're standing across there just cheering like a wild person come on you know and then they don't and then and then there's that then there's there's that first step and then there's another step and then they fall Sometimes they fall because they're scared. or Sometimes their head's bigger than it needs to be, and so they just fall over. They haven't grown into the head yet. But you're not standing there in that moment going, you big idiot, you fell. No. You come in and you scoop them up, and you're cheering them on, and you're, you're rejoicing with what they've accomplished. And here's what I want you to understand. That's how God sees you. So oftentimes we think, man, I can't get it right. I'm just a big idiot. God sees it. He's just waiting to drop their hammer on me because, no, walk in this way. And there are going to be times where we fall. God doesn't expect us to be perfect but he does expect progress. And God wants us to continue to grow. 
And it's a lifelong process of putting off things, the old man that we used to be. And it's a lifelong process of putting on. But it begins with putting on the mind of Christ. It begins getting along with him, sitting at the feet of Jesus and allowing ourselves to be discipled by our maker. And as he, he gets in our head, he gets in our heart, and that stuff's got to come out. And that's what happens when he gets in us, and then we go out into the world, and that comes out of us, and we make a difference wherever we go and whatever we're doing. That's what he's called us to. And that's what we should want. Let's pray. God, thank you for, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and how instructive it is. And I pray for, for all of us in the room. Lord, I, I pray that we'll, God, maybe take some inventory in our life. The way in which we, we approach things. And, and, and really just be aware of how we're prone to go back to our old ways and our old way of thinking and our old way of, of doing things. That we're, we're formed by the world in which we live in. And so we've got to make sure that we're formed by you first. So help us to do that. And so in this moment, I pray that for, for all of us in the room, that we would simply become, that we would simply come before our maker, the one who created us, who knows what we're, we were created for. We'd allow you to, to speak into our heart and to our life and that we, would, that we would walk in obedience in light of whatever it is you're calling us to do. To leave things behind, to put things on and embrace the things that pleasing unto you. God, help us just to walk in obedience. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll have a, if you would, you can, you can stand. We'll, um, we'll have a short time of response. If you want to come to the altar, spend some time with the Lord, you can come to the altar. Maybe you want to stay where you are. If, if uh, you need to have a conversation about maybe your heart being awakened to the gospel, And I would say, hey, just come see me after we're done with service and we can have a conversation about that. I'd love to help you sort through whatever it is that you're sorting through. But in this moment, I just encourage you to spend some time with the Lord and uh, and walk in obedience in light of what he's shown you this morning.
I love you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're plugged into a community group. If you're not, then you can come have a conversation with me or stop by the welcome desk out front. Um, we believe in uh, community because God makes it very clear in his word that we should be in community. And so if we can help you get plugged in, we'd love to help you take that step. Let me pray and, uh, and we'll head to community group. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for being a God who speaks. And uh, God, thank you for being a God who hadn't kept us in the dark. You, you open our eyes to reality of who you are. And we are forever grateful for that. So help us to live our lives in light of that everywhere we go. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If I can help you walk through anything or you have any questions, I would love to talk with you. I'll be up front here. Your love sustains